Hello, and welcome to You Philosopher. So I want to talk with you about Black Panther. Now, I'll grant you this, I'm already a bit late, uh, to say the least. The film is one of the most popular films of all time. Um, it's the highest grossing superhero film ever. And uh, I believe right now, as we speak, it's in the top three just top grossing films ever. So um, that's pretty exciting. And there's the reason there's a lot of reasons why it's exciting i mean one of which it's always nice to see a superhero film doing well right so for those of us who enjoy superheroes and things like that it's nice to see them taken seriously and to be to see them taken seriously by critics and see them taken seriously in terms of the box office gross in general and gain a certain legitimacy right so that's of course cool but of course one of the things that also is interesting here is is that the uh the film uh, focuses largely on a, a black cast, right? Um, on, uh, on a narrative about a, a, a black country and, and deals with issues specifically of interest also to the black community, right? So in all of this, what we have is an opportunity to discuss something that in a lot of ways we tend to be very uncomfortable with discussing in, in our own country, which are issues of race, right? So on one hand, the film uh, is dealing with just a larger superhero narrative in general, but of importance is the fact that the film takes the opportunity to deal with issues that are applicable to everybody, right? It's not a film specifically about slavery or specifically about um, the experience of blacks uh, in the United States or something like that. It's also a film uh, that deals, though, with uh, a character who feels particularly motivated by the uh, the oppression and the mistreatment of the of the black population, namely Eric, right? And so the so what's interesting about the film to me is the it, it affords us both the opportunity to have a film that's uh, largely a black cast uh, for but for everybody it's not being sold specifically to, to one cultural group or another but it's just worldwide um, that both deals with issues that appeal to everybody but also doesn't hide from the, the struggles and the mistreatment of the black population and Part of the way that it does this is specifically through uh, the character Killmonger, Eric, right? And so we have T'Challa, our hero, who um, is interestingly an isolationist. And this is something that a lot of people have brought up, particularly uh, amongst like conservative pundits who have said, see, look, this film that's super popular and everyone loves it is really a film about uh, why, why countries should be more isolationistic and why that benefits them. And that does read a little strange to me because granted, through much of the film, the argument is for isolationism and why Wakanda should stay hidden and why it shouldn't get involved in everyone else's problems, so on and so forth. But um, by the end of the film, and, and given how popular the film is, I'm just going to presume you've already seen it probably a couple of times, so I don't feel like I'm giving away too much. Um, by the end of the film, the realization that Chichala has is part of their problem has been this isolation, right? And that um, in so doing that not only have they been keeping secrets and allowing things to kind of fester within their own nation, but um, they've been denying the rest of the world the benefit 
of knowing them and the benefit of their technology and the, the benefit of their wisdom, the benefit of their knowledge, the, the, the benefit of their culture, right? And so by the end, there's this realization that the isolation not only didn't really benefit them as much as they thought, it kept them safe from the outside world in a lot of ways, but it allowed corruption to develop within them uh, whilst even they're, you know, being a people of great integrity and honesty. Um, but it also kind of violates this basic human premise that we have that when we're doing well, we have an obligation to others. And I think that's a whole conversation to have in and of it itself, right? Which is this issue of if I'm doing well uh, as an individual or as a nation, do I have an obligation to other other people. And some people are going to say yes, and some people are going to say no. Um, the film ends up leaning on the side of, yeah, we, we do have this obligation. After all, it's a superhero film. So it's always like comic to to realize how many people here in our own country are, are Superman fans or Spider-Man fans. And then at the same time, we'll be like, yeah, but you know what? We need to help our people first, right? Uh, obviously, we need to take care of, I need to take care of me right? Me first, right? You got to take care of number one, right? And this is always interesting because it'll be like, let me go watch my Spider-Man film. And then it's like, with, you know, great power comes great responsibility. Unless it's like, I guess me, in which case, you know, my money and my wealth and my health and my power, I got to make sure that I take care of number one first. But it, it is odd that superheroes are so popular amongst us, while at the same time, kind of culturally, we're really against this idea that we have an obligation to help other people if we're super powerful. I mean, what obligation does Superman actually have given our own cultural lights, for instance, right? What responsibility does he have to spend his time going around saving these mortals who just can't compete with him on any level, basically intellectually or physically? Um, so interestingly, um, and I think accurate to the whole idea of being a hero, right? Uh, T'Challa, in the end, decides that with the power and the wealth and the technological advancements of Wakanda, that they do have an obligation to try and help the rest of the world. Um, but I think really something to talk about in addition to that of interest is the villain of the story, right? So T'Challa is fascinating and interesting and incredibly well acted, just a great character. Um, but there's also this character, Killmonger, who I think is a little bit easy to overlook, uh, you know, because villains often are. We move quickly through villains and, you know, so we need someone to be a foil for our hero that shows uh, both the flaws in the heroes, but also to show their, their greater strengths. And the, the motivation that Eric, uh, Killmonger, seems to have is basically he's seen uh, the mistreatment of the black population around the world, right? So um, being a, a veteran of the U.S. Armed Forces, right, he's seen um, the way the black population is repressed everywhere. And his, his answer to this is tremendous violence, hence the nickname Killmonger, right? His end goal is basically go to Wakanda, take control of Wakanda, and then basically have Wakanda take control of the rest of the world and have like this black enlightenment, right, where the oppressed black population stands up and says, we're not dealing with this anymore, right? We are a tremendously significant uh, uh, part of the population, right? And uh, especially with Wakanda's technological advancement, we can, we can put you under the thumb, 
right? And so this makes him clearly a villain, right? So through the film, he becomes a villain. And, and, I, and I think people, people are pretty comfortable with that. Like, look what this guy wants to do. You know, he wants to take over the world, right? This is another Hitler-esque kind of personality. And that, again, seems to us to be something that rings kind of very naturally, right? Um, you know, when you have someone who wants to take over the world and who uses violence as an answer, uh, this is a bad person. And then they need to be stopped by a hero, right? Um, but, you know, as, as I like to do through this series is, you know, I want to poke at something that seems a little bit kind of inconsistent in our way of thinking, which is, which is namely the realization that in our, in our own culture, and, and, and these are generalities, right? This isn't everyone and this isn't all the time, but kind of culturally, generally, we seem to be under the impression that um, violence is both bad and good, right? So in the case of someone like Killmonger, bad, right? Um, why? Well, he, you know, he wants to take over the world in this terrible way. Now, so one question that immediately comes up, well, was he bad when he was killing when he was in the service? Was that bad? And, and we're immediately like, whoa, no, no. Like when you have to, you know, don't disrespect our veterans. If you go over and fight and you're fighting for freedom and you're fighting for democracy and you're fighting for innocent people and you're fighting for innocent lives, that's, that's a different thing. Okay, all right, fair enough. Um, so... Maybe there was a point in time where where he was killing, he was killing for the right reasons, but then this is somehow how twisted. And so what's the general take on it, right? So, I mean, T'Challa uses violence. We're pretty comfortable with that. What's, where's the issue? Well, the issue tends to be that we don't like it when people use violence as a means by which to subjugate others, but we do think that violence is necessary or righteous when it's used to free people. Right when it's used um, because uh, uh, you know someone is being oppressed, because it's being used because someone's being kept down, um, because an innocent is somehow being harmed, right? And so we are a country that often believes that violence is quite necessary, right? So like you know the our revolution against Britain, right? We're being repressed. We fight, and we fight for our freedom. And uh, you know you look at something like World War II again, like even though it had a um, Nazi Germany hadn't really come our way, we do look back on that and feel like, well, we did the right thing. I mean, look at the horrible atrocity that was being committed against all of these innocent people. Um, but we also believe that, kind of for the most part, hence, you know, like the Second Amendment, that we should be able to arm ourselves um, against uh, personal threats, right? So robbers, right? Uh, murderers, rapists, so on and so forth, but also against our government if necessary, right? So that's one of the big things that people are really on. And, and, and you find this especially like uh, uh, amongst people who are more conservative leaning, like there might be a point in time when the government is in fact the villain, right? And, and we, we've seen that happen lots of times I mean, the, the, throughout the world, right? where you have a country that's prospering and then someone comes into power and all of a sudden uh, the people have to fight for themselves, right? And so this happens. So we're, we're kind of under the impression that we need our weapons to be able to protect ourselves in case something goes horribly awry, not just uh, from immediate personal threats with other individual human beings, but like if our, if our government just like went heinously evil or something like that. So the difficulty there, where I see the inconsistency, is is that, well, how is that all that different from, say, what Eric, right, from what Killmonger is doing, right? If we believe that there is a certain line that could be crossed by our own government, right, uh, Jefferson certainly seemed to think so. Like, if we thought that there was a point in time where, like, no, I need to be able to, like, if there are people right now in the United States who are buying guns, 
right, who are against gun control, right, who do not like that, and that in fact think that maybe gun restrictions should be loosened. Like if the if if the uh, if the U.S. Army can have fully automatic weapons, then we need fully automatic weapons in case you know the U.S. Army ever uh, decides to turn on its own people or something like that. Like there. There certainly seem to be a fair number of people in the country who believe that there are circumstances in which they need to rise up against their government and um, or at least protect themselves maybe from like pol a police force gone rogue or the, you know, like right now the FBI is in the news and there's a lot of argument that like the FBI has been a corrupt arm of like the Clinton campaign or something like that. And so some people might feel the need to arm themselves just in case like the FBI decides to start violating their civil rights. In other words, a lot of people in the United States believe that the Bill of Rights itself, right, is that dividing line. That if there's a point in time where that Bill of Rights is being violated, that's when it's okay to bear arms, right? So the question then becomes, well, what was Killmonger's rationale? And that's what reads really interesting to me. Insofar as he sees a group of people who are being oppressed, mistreated, like kind of no matter what they do, they can't um, get fair treatment, right? They've, they've tried using peaceful means and pacifistic means, and, and yet they're, they're still horribly uh, um, underrepresented. So if you look at like, say, even in our own country, like how many of our governmental representatives are black in comparison with the actual percentage of our country that's black, right? There's it's, it's not, it's, it's like with the same thing with women, right? How many Congress people are women in comparison with the 50% of the population that are, right? It's not even close. So he sees what, at least by his lights, is a tremendous uh, disparity, right? Uh, a, a, a historical mistreatment of a group of people, right, for an extended period of time and views himself as a revolutionary, right? As, as a, a, a freedom fighter who, in order to establish his freedom, is going to um, commit tremendous violence and then basically force everyone else to treat him and the people that he's decided um, uh, should be treated with respect. Now, I guess where my confusion starts to come in is, is it almost seems to me like our take on violence um, here in the States tends to be if you're a white person fighting for your freedom against Barack Obama, right? If you're a white person fighting for your freedom against, um, you know, people breaking into your house, if you're a white person fighting for your freedom in whatever way we happen to deem, uh, that's, that's acceptable. But when the black population engages in violence, um, we view it as, you know, riotous, um, just another bad example, um, as, uh, you know, just a, a, another case of the black population not being able to control itself and more reason to believe that they can't be trusted. And, and it, to me, it kind of bears itself out in a really interesting conversation about, um, you know, Dr. King and Malcolm X, right? You hear a whole lot about Dr. King, right? He's taught to some, at least to some degree in schools and people talk about, right? And he was a pacifist. Malcolm X, on the other hand, definitely not a pacifist, but both were key figures in um, bringing about uh, equal, equal rights or at least 
something closer to it. And we can say whatever we want about how, you know, racism doesn't really exist in the country. Like a lot of people are arguing that it's actually more reverse racism or whatever else. But we can say as a matter of fact, without really any question, I think, without any argument, that there was a point in time not long ago here in the United States when black people couldn't sit, you know, where they wanted to on the bus. They couldn't use the same water fountains. They didn't have access to anywhere near equal education, right? They were pre prevented from voting. Sundown towns were incredibly popular. Lynchings were still going on, right? And so with all of those things, you would think, at, at the very least, you would think, well, wouldn't that justify violence, at least back then? Like, and, and we're going to leave aside for right now whether or not violence is justified today in the United States. Because some people are going to say, well, obviously not, right? Again, they're going to argue that it's actually more reverse racism that's going on in the United States and the black po population has a better chance than the white population. And I'm not even going to worry about that for the case of this conversation. What I'm curious is, is why aren't we looking at people like Malcolm X and going, yeah, that was a freedom fighter? Because I don't think we can get a whole lot of argument about the 1950s, you know, the 1960s as well. You know, back then, blacks had just, in fact, it was better off for them. Like, People can argue, try and have that argument today, maybe. But back then, it seems really, really, really clear that there was a group of people who were horribly repressed in this country. So, whilst personally, like on a personal note, I love Dr. King's philosophy. But most people would argue that I'm actually too pacifistic. Right? That my take on things, like, I'm not a fan of violence at all. Like, please don't take this conversation as me suggesting that people should go around killing each other. Like, my philosophical argument has always been, well, everyone dies anyways, so why are we going to rush it? You know, like, the only difference is, do I die a killer or not? Um, but most people don't hold what's, you know, would be considered to be a kind of, like, extreme, pacifistic, hippiest view here in the country, like, like mine. Uh, most people would argue that, no, violence is righteous and just under certain circumstances when a group of people are being horribly repressed. And so why are we not willing to talk about someone like Malcolm X um, with the same kind of dignity, right, and like awesomeness that we might talk about, say, someone like uh, maybe General Grant, right, or um, someone else who engaged in violence uh, theoretically to for this greater freedom cause. And... Um, but no, instead, we kind of really, like, we really emphasize uh, Dr. King and we really minimize Malcolm X. And if I was really paranoid, I would say it's because, well, <laughs> that's a really effective means by which to keep people feeling like, you know, people who are currently being repressed, feeling like, oh, look, see, you don't have to be violent, right? Um, you, you can do it through these pacifistic means. And, and whilst I happen, again... I happen to think that's a great idea. Let's let's all be nice and hug. <laughs> right? It's funny that we'll say that. Like, oh, look at this. This is better. This is better. But we don't agree with it at all, right? When it comes to things like people ramming planes into our buildings, right? As soon as someone rams a plane into our building, we're like, let's go carpet bomb those people, right? Like over and over and over again, our country's response to things tends to be like, nah, man, you're engaging in an injustice against us, against our people. Let's let's go, right? Uh, many of us believe very strongly in the death penalty, right, which is a way of enacting violence, right, and to gain justice against someone else who's done something awful. So, but all of a sudden, when it's something like the black population, uh, Hispanics, women, 
if they engage in violence in this country, um, even, uh, even on a small level, and I'm not sure that there's really like small levels of violence because whoever experiences violence, it's huge for them to, to experience the violence. But, but even when they engage in it in these supposedly smaller ways, we're immediately like, shame on you. You should know better than that. Look at the example of Dr. King. What's wrong with you? But it does read interesting to me that when we've had a couple of instances like um, uh, there was a, a, a fellow who was really very upset about uh, his treatment by the U United States government here in, in, in the States um, because of issues of like cattle grazing and uh, hold himself up in, in, inside a government compound with guns with his friends and some of his family. And there's this huge standoff. And it's very easily in a circumstance provide like... I, so this guy is holding guns and pointing them at them at United States, like federal law enforcement and local law enforcement. And he kind of came out to some degree, like almost a bit of a hero in our country, right? Like a lot of people think like, especially amongst like conservative pundits, like good for him standing up for his right to grace his cattle. You know, the feds, you know, once again, an example of just government being too big. And I think to myself, like, wow, man, if that had been, like, a black guy who, you know, took a compound and said, I'm over the fact that um, if I apply for a job and someone else who's white applies for a job, I have much lesser chance of getting a call back um, if they know I'm black, just statistically speaking. I'm over this. This is unfair. Uh, so I, I'm going to hold a compound with my guns and point them at people. Like we would, it would be insane. Like people would be like, well, see, you know, and, and we, we'd be advocating violence against that person. So there's, it's, it's interesting to me that Black Panther, which is a fantastic film, also seems to still kind of promote this idea that the black population shouldn't respond violently, even when people are violent against them. That there seems to be a pretty strong positioning of no matter how much violence the black population experiences, um, that the appropriate response is that Dr. King response. And whilst I personally think that engaging with people who are violent with love and kindness and compassion is a good way to go, culturally it's inconsistent for us when we do seem to believe that in every other instance of injustice, violence is warranted. So, it's worth thinking about next time I watch the film. Um, so with that, I wish you a wonderful week.